please follow along in your, in your Bibles or from the screen. Reading in Jesus' name. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put more in, has put in more than all those who are uh, contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. I had a conversation with uh, my kids in the car uh, yesterday. Sometimes when I'm kind of uh, not really knowing how, where am I going to go with my sermon, I'll, I'll consult my kids. And uh, they'll help me out a little bit with, with my sermon. Uh, so my conversation went something like this. Uh, suppose you see somebody put a penny into the offering plate. What would you think? What would you think? Uh, my son Santana says, well, if all you can put in is a penny, you shouldn't put anything in. <laughs> then I said, <laughs> sorry, Santana. <laughs> then I said, what, what if somebody put uh, $1,000 in? What would you think of that? Well, my son Daniel started to kind of understand, and he says, well, maybe the penny would be better than the 1000 because the penny is more humble. Greater humility. And he, he's getting to the point of our gospel lesson today. And then I asked the question, what if somebody uh, put in a penny, but that person who put in a penny was all that they had to live on? And then a millionaire put $1,000 into the offering plate. And then I asked, in God's eyes, which offering would be greater? And they got it. They understood that the penny was the greater offering than the $1,000 given by the millionaire. Our gospel lesson points out the contrast of religious arrogance versus humble piety. Jesus says, beware, beware of the scribes. They might look good on the outside, their external appearance might seem godly, but Jesus says, beware, beware, it's all for show. They wore long robes, long white robes, commentators say. The people would wear colorful robes, but they distinguished themselves as being holier than others by wearing long white robes. 
They relished greetings in the marketplaces. It was actually a requirement of people to show them special honor in public. So they relished these, these greetings in the marketplaces. They had the best seats in the synagogues. They actually didn't sit down where the common people do. They sat up here because they assumed that they were better than others. And they sat in seats of honor at feasts. These actually were the rock stars and the movie stars of first century Palestine. These were the characters people wanted to know and be known by. They had authority, they had respect, they appeared to have it all together. But Jesus saw who they really were. He saw through the, the external facade of holiness to their hearts. And Jesus sees who we really are. He looks to the heart. He looks right straight forward, right straight through the, those uh, external uh, facades that we put up. And he looks at the heart and he knows who we really are. You see, the external displays of self-righteousness will never fool Jesus. Jesus isn't fooled by these external displays of righteousness and of piety. You see, our external piety might fool others. Others might assume that, that you're a super Christian because you know the right words, display the right behavior, and show up at the right places at the right time. But Jesus, he sees to the core of every one of us. He sees right through it all. When he looks at us, our true nature is laid bare. He sees everything. He sees it all. And Jesus called the scribes out for who they really were. Jesus pointed to the scribes and he said, beware. Beware of the scribes. Do not give them the recognition that they believe they deserve. So he points to the scribes and he says, beware. Then in our gospel lesson, Jesus pointed to another. Who did Jesus point to this time? Unlike the scribes, most would never take notice of this person. She was poor. She was a widow. She had almost nothing. In the very little that she had, she placed in the temple offering box. Just two coins, two small, thin copper coins worth only a penny. Everyone took notice of the wealthy people who gave large sums of money. Everyone was impressed by the large sums of money that were given to the temple treasury. No one noticed the minuscule amount given by the woman. The disciples would have been tempted to believe that large sums given by the wealthy would be worth more than the offering of a poor widow. But there was one who took notice of the widow's offering. Jesus noticed. Remember, Jesus looks at the heart. He looks at the heart. 
He sees right through the facade, and he sees the true intentions and motivations of people. Jesus saw that this widow, this widow had not given out of her abundance, but this widow had given all that she had to live on. Jesus noticed. Jesus noticed that the widow trusted God with all that she had. She understood that everything that she had was from God and belonged to God, and she trusted that God would care for her. No one would have taken note of her offering. No one would have known of her sacrificial gift if Jesus had not pointed her out. This begs the question of you. How much does God want you to give? How much does he want you to give? How much does God require of you? Some would say, God requires 10%. And what do we call the 10%? The tithe. Some would assume that God requires the tithe. And the scriptures does do point us to the tithe. Malachi chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? How does Jesus respond? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no need. Some would say that God requires the tithe. Others would say that God requires however much you have decided in your heart to give. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. Here St. Paul writes, the point of this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as, as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So what does God require? Does he require 10%? Does he require what you have decided in your heart to give? Or does he require more? I believe that the widow teaches us what is required of us. 100%. 100%. 100% belongs to God. What does our gospel lesson teach us? What does Jesus say about the cost of discipleship? If you know anything about the life of a disciple, 
you know that God wants 100%. You are a disciple of Jesus. Baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. A follower of Christ. You are his disciple. And discipleship requires everything. Now, does this mean that I need to, to head to the bank and empty my bank account and give everything away to the church, to the poor, to missions? Is that the point? No, it's not the point. It's not the point. I don't think the point really is a percentage of money, but a heart, a heart that is humble before God. A heart that is wholly devoted to God. A heart that loves Him with all of our being. That, my friends, is what matters. God wants 100%. So I ask this question of you. Is your life in God's hands? Is your life in God's hands? The fact is, it doesn't matter if you believe it or not, but your whole life is already 100% dependent upon God's grace and mercy. Your life is dependent upon him. You see, if God's mercy to fallen humanity ceased to exist, we would immediately be consumed by his wrath. We cannot stand before a righteous and holy God. This is why the Bible says that he is slow to anger and that he is abounding in steadfast love. Your life is totally dependent upon God's daily provision. Your life is dependent upon him. But we've become so self-sufficient. We think that we've done it. But God says, no, everything, everything given to you, has been given to you by my grace and mercy. Even the breath that you take is a gift from me. All that you have, all that you have, regardless of, of wealth or a lack thereof, is a gift of God's mercy. He gives daily bread to all out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy without any merit in ourselves. And the Bible teaches that he even provides daily bread for the most wicked people. Even for the most wicked. As Christians, we, we recognize this reality and we, and we thank and we praise God for our daily bread. We give him thanks and praise because we have food. We also understand that every good gift comes with the responsibility of faithful stewardship. Here's that word. I don't know why pastors are afraid to teach on it. Stewardship. Faithful stewardship. Faithful stewardship. We understand that every good gift that is given to us in this life is a trust from God. I love the song that we would sing at Stavanger Lutheran Church. We give thee but thine own, whate'er the gift may be. Acknowledging 
that all that we have is thine alone. A trust, a trust, O Lord, from thee. A trust from him. God owns it all. He owns it all. And that's why we give it all back to him. It all belongs to him. So maybe a good place to start is with giving 10%. But I would say this. Don't be limited by the 10%. Don't be limited. I actually believe that it would be very strange for New Testament believers who have been so blessed by God to give back only 10% when they have the ability to give so much more. We are New Testament believers. We, we have the awesome privilege of living in the realities that were, only, that were only shadows for Old Testament believers. Here we are living in the blessed kingdom of Jesus Messiah, our Savior. We are so blessed. Don't you think it would be strange to give less in the new age of the gospel? This side of Christ's coming? You are living under the blessed rule and reign of Jesus Christ. You are in the kingdom. Let's be as generous, as generous as we can in our giving. Let's not hold back, but let us give with generosity. In the Gospel Transformation Study Bible, I found this note up on the screen for you. Our giving is also a diagnostic window into how we view God. If we see God as the gracious giver of all good gifts, we will desire to excel in the grace of giving. If we view him as a hard taskmaster whose service is a burden, however, it will be visible in our reluctant giving. The issue is our attitude, our attitude, not the amount. Through it all, we remember Jesus, who though he was rich, yet for our sakes became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. We are cheerfully generous, not in order to pay God back, but in light of his great and lavish generosity toward us. What else could we do? All is a gift, a gift of God's mercy. We simply give back what he has already given to us. This biblical understanding of stewardship will also affect the way we use our money on a daily basis. Remember, it all belongs to him. He wants 100%, not saying that you give everything to the offering plate. But should our lives as disciples affect the way that we use our resources on a daily basis? If I believe that everything is a trust from God, when I whip out the credit card, I might start thinking differently about my purchases. Is this purchase necessary? How is this purchase going to benefit my neighbor? How is this purchase going to glorify God? Is this purchase showing good stewardship? of the resources which God has blessed me with. 
You see, biblical discipleship reaches into every nook and cranny of our lives. Everything is laid bare. Everything is opened up. Nothing is off the books. All is accounted in the economy of discipleship. Here's where we need to remember. Beware the scribes. Beware the scribes. The attitude of the scribe can easily infect our hearts. Beware the scribes. Look to the widow. Look to what she gave. What is your attitude? The scribes living in covenant with God only reached external showmanship. Glorious white robes that set them apart from the common people. Greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogue, seats of honor at feasts. But that's all it was. That's all it was. And for their shallowness, they were destined to receive the greater condemnation. So I ask the question, why? Why should a Christian live in such a way? Why should we as believers live in such a way that we view everything that we have as a gift that belongs to God? Why should we live our lives as Christians giving not just a percentage, but giving all that we have and all that we are to Jesus? Why? Number one, we give with exceptional generosity because we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has gone, the new has come. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, be up on the screen for you, beginning with the 12th verse. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to, to an end. But their, their minds were hardened, for to this day when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away? Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord are what? Are being transformed. We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the other, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. As a new creation in Christ Jesus, you are being transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ through the word of the gospel. If you're being transformed into the likeness of Christ, what attitude? do you have? You have an attitude of generosity. If you are being transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ, you are generous 
generous in every way. When you are generous, you are reflecting the very nature of God. The very nature of God. God is a generous God. He gives and gives and gives. As a new creation in Christ Jesus, you too have been given that characteristic of generosity. You want to give. You desire to give. How many of you would say, if I could, I'd give more? If I had the ability, I would give more. Where does that come from? You've been transformed into the very likeness of Christ. Because you now have adopted that new nature, you want to reflect the image of God as a giver with great generosity. Why would a Christian live in such a way that every possession is viewed as belonging to God and being used to glorify God? Why would we have this attitude of generosity among us? Number one, we're a new creation in Christ Jesus. We now once again bear the image of God and bearing the image of God is generosity. We also give because of the gift of Jesus. The gift of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus was nothing like the arrogant scribes. Jesus came in great humility. He came as a servant. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Here St. Paul says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of what? A servant. If we bear the image of God as a new creation in Christ Jesus, recreated in him, we too will be servants. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. What did he do? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, God gives and he gives and he gives. He came to give to you. Jesus came as your servant. Jesus gave everything. He gave everything. He even gave his very life for you. I love Luther's small catechism. Anybody here have to memorize Luther's small catechism to graduate from confirmation? <laughs> well, I'm not going to give you a test and have you give me the answer to the second article of the creed, but I hope it's in your heart. I hope it's in your heart. I love his explanation of the second article of the Apostles' Creed because it teaches us about Jesus. It teaches us about your Savior. It teaches us about how much he's given for you. Can we read it together on the screen? I think I put it up there for us, didn't I? Yes. Let's read it out loud together. 
I believe that Jesus Christ, true God begotten of the Father from eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord, who has redeemed me, a lost and condemned person, purchased and won me from all sin, from death and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death, that I may be his own and live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, just as he is risen from the dead and lives and reigns to all eternity. This is most certainly true. This is true, brothers and sisters in Christ. You have been purchased. You have been purchased not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood and with the innocent suffering and death of Jesus Christ. This is what makes a joyful giver. This is what makes a joyful giver. This is what transforms us into people who freely and joyfully give, not just the 10%. But all that we are, all of our being, everything to the glory and to the praise of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you that you have given everything to us. And Lord, I pray that you would do a work within this congregation. And Lord, we acknowledge that many here can only put in a penny. And Lord, in your eyes, that gift is great. Maybe more than all of the contributions that we have put in together. Some may only be able to donate a, a morsel towards Cedar Valley, but it's more than all of the contributions, the large contributions put together that we have given. Help us, Heavenly Father, to know that it isn't about the amount that's put into the offering plate or given to Cedar Valley, but it's a heart transformed by the gospel and wholly devoted to you. Teach us this humility. Teach us what it means to be a disciple. Teach us what it means to give with generosity. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.